0: It's something that will bless your life if you choose to apply it. So, like Sister Nikki pointed out, it, the, the, the wise man gives the example of wisdom preparing a table. It is a meal. No one can force you to eat, but it is available to you. And it nourishes you and it does you well. It's not for, you're not force-fed. So that's what I want you to think about. Every time that you approach the Bible and every time that you approach uh, a sermon or a lesson... I don't want you to think of it as something that is being forced upon you to control you. It is an invitation to something that will bless your life. A a good example that I can think of, uh, a a sermon that really changed my life when I was a young person, was um, about Jesus walking through the cornfield. Now, I grew up in Indiana, and so this is where I heard this sermon was in Indiana. And so cornfields are all over Indiana. If you've ever been to Indiana... They're everywhere. So, and everyone, you, everyone that lives in Indiana knows somebody that farms some corn or raises some corn. So, when you're preaching about cornfields, it just gets people, touches people's heart in the Hoosier State. So, I remember it, my pastor at the time, he preached a sermon called the God of the Cornfield. And so, um, automatically all us Hoosiers were perked up because we understand corn. And it was Jesus walking through the cornfield... And his disciples were picking the ears of corn. Now, scholars say that this, the word translated corn may be more like wheat, but in Indiana, we just like to think of it as the big, tall corn stalks. And they're walking through a cornfield, and they're plucking the ears of corn, and they are eating it. The problem was is that it was on the Sabbath day. It was on the day when no work should be done. That was the law. No work to be done on the Sabbath day. It was like the whole country was Chick-fil-A shut down on Sundays, okay? We're on Sabbath, uh, Saturday, but you know what I mean. So th- the problem was is that they were not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees, the lawyers the, of the Jewish law, the religious elite, the leaders, they saw this, they saw Jesus' disciples walking through and they saw them plucking ears of corn and eating them right there in the field, and they said, aha, we got you. I knew you weren't that spiritual, Jesus, because you're letting your disciples work on the Sabbath because you should only eat corn that has been pre-picked before the Sabbath. You should not even do the simple task of breaking it off the stock and eating it. And Jesus responds with these words. He says that, The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And if you get that, everything in your life about church will change. Every every attitude that you have about church will change. If you understand that point, that everything that God has commanded was created for you, you were not created simply to follow a rule. So Jesus' point was this rule, my disciples were not violating this law because they were simply eating. And the the difference between breaking a pea, they they were being too particular. Just plucking an ear of corn and eating it is no different really than eating. And everyone eats on the Sabbath. So you are perverting God's word into making it something that is arbitrary to follow that has no point. Everything in the Bible has a point for your life, has a a something to it that blesses your life. It is a look of what your life can become. It's not really just what God wants you to become arbitrarily. It is a vision of what your life can become. You see the difference? The difference between just a rule to follow and then a rule that blesses your life. Something that if you follow it, it will bring blessing into your life. It's it's different than an arbitrary rule. So that's what we need to think of when we think of the Bible. And when we approach uh, scripture, when we read it, when we hear it preached, when we hear lessons, we need to think of it not in terms of this is something that I've got to do because it's forced down on me, but it's an invitation to blessing. It's an invitation to a life that is lived at a higher level than what you could achieve on your own. I mean, it's, it's very intrinsically easy to understand when you think of like a parent and a child. If you think of me and Sage, I'm not going to put a rule on her just to control her. But there will be rules that she doesn't understand. But that are for her benefit. You understand? You see the difference there. So that's what I want you to think about. And we're, we're going to start uh, with our lesson in Proverbs chapter number 31. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter number 31. This is um, one of the most famous chapters in the book of Proverbs. Anybody know what Proverbs 31 is about? Off the top of your head. Anybody ever heard this taught or heard it mentioned? It's about women. Yes, true. The virtuous woman. Yeah. So that's what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about gender distinction in the Bible, gender distinction in the Bible. And I think the most and this is a this is a real critical issue in our day and age because we live in a society that is pushing for the idea of humans being all the same and that there is no biological, emotional, psychological difference between male and female. That there there really is, and and it's it's really, really, really bizarre Um, if you really get down to it, and I've been in some college classrooms with some people that believe really radical things, and they truly believe that there could be a scenario where one gender completely disappears, mostly the men, typically, it's like radical feminists. They literally, there are some, not everyone, but a, a minority that literally believe all men could die out and somehow women would find a way to keep the race alive. I mean, they really, they really deep down, they believe this. So th- there is a, 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 a really strong push in our um, society to tell us that gender distinction does not matter, that there is no difference, that it is all socially constructed. Well, really, inherently, we kind of know that to be not true. It's not truly really true in our experience. But it, we need to know exactly what to think and what to believe as Christian young people. And my argument today is going to be that the Bible is the most pro-woman book ever written. Because it's, it's difficult for young ladies, and I'm going to speak directly to our young ladies today it's difficult to see your place in the world. It's, it's difficult sometimes because what is the role of a young lady in modern society? And when you read the Bible, sometimes you can, you can look at it and most of the heroes, of the, not all, but most of the heroes of the Bible are men. Most of the authors, where well, really all of the primary authors are men. And so you, you think, well, what is my role? What is my place in the kingdom of God? What has God called me to do? And you can, you can struggle with that question. And I think every, all young people struggle with that question. But uh, it, specifically in this chapter, it speaks directly to young men and young ladies. And it speaks very distinctly to each category. And so that's why I think this chapter is very, very important. I hope you will read it. I hope you will absorb it, take it in, because it speaks not just to women, but to our young men as well. So we, we want to open up our hearts and we want to understand what God is trying to say to us in his word through this book. And like I said at the beginning, this is an invitation. This is a look at what your life can look like. This is what your life can look like. So we're going to start in Proverbs 31, verse number 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So right off the bat, we know that there are two different genders involved. We know that there is a male, a king named Lemuel. And we know that these are his words, but we know that he's not the source of the words. We know that it is his mother that is teaching him these things. So really these ideas are coming from a lady. So this chapter could be, in a sense, authored by a woman, authored by a lady that has great wisdom and great influence. So right off the bat, we can understand that there is a message for our young men in this chapter and there is a message for our young ladies. There's a message to the young men because this is the advice of a mother that is guiding her son, who is in a position of power and honor and prestige. But yet he still needs advice from his mother. You never really outgrow needing advice from your mom. Let me just put a plug in for moms. Even as he was the king, he still was listening to the voice of his mother. And that was the sign of wisdom, because this is in the book of wisdom. So he was very dependent upon the teaching of his mother. I I think back on my life, of course, and my mom and my grandmothers, and how much impact they've had on my life, and it is astounding. So you, you can have a great impact, whether you're male or female. You can impact the kingdom of God. You can do something and say something and be somebody that changes things. It does not matter your, your, who you are, your gender, whether you're male or female, does not preclude you from being useful in the kingdom of God. That is just not true in Scripture. Now, you can get some snarky person that will point out all the different places in the Bible where women are mistreated, and there are many. Because the Bible was written in an imperfect society and God was working with imperfect people. And the reality is, is that men are physically stronger than women. They are physically bigger and stronger. So in a society that that where there is no technology and that if you're going to grow food, you've got to just do it by the sweat of your brow, what the Bible tells, what God tells Adam in Genesis, by the sweat of your brow, the working of your hands. And if you're going to conquer land, you've got to send men with swords not armed forces with drones and computer technology, but literally swords and spears. You're going to send your men. You're not going to send your women. Not because you're not pro women, but because you want to win. And you're gonna send the six foot eight guy instead of the five foot two guy or the four foot and eleven lady, like Sister Nikki. I mean if I mean I love Sister Nikki, I think she's a strong lady, but in a fight I think I can take her. You know what I mean? And she could train to be a black belt in karate, but I have 100 pounds on her and nearly a foot. Actually, over a foot. I mean, I just think I've got some leverage. It's just the law of physics. Okay, so in a society that is, that is kind of based upon conquest and brutality because it was an ancient society, and the Lord starts, starts dealing with people. And he starts working with people inside a society that is dominated by physical strength. But in the midst of this society, God starts creating a law that lifts people up. That lifts up those who are not as physically strong. But who still have great value in his kingdom because both male and female were created in his image. So don't get discouraged when you read stories of men having multiple wives. That was not God's plan. The Bible says there was a time of ignorance that God winked at. But that he commands all men everywhere to repent. All people everywhere to repent this day. And when you get to the New Testament, if you're going to be a leader, you have to be married to One person that's that's very clear in the New Testament because it because God is creating a system by which all people can be lifted up. So that's what I want you to remember as we walk through this chapter, that there is a role for you both as male and female in the kingdom of God to influence God's kingdom. And so this this first part, his mother is teaching him verse two: what my son and what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows. So she kind of starts with this provocation question, reminding him that you are my son, that I gave birth to you. And she says, give not thy strength unto women, nor the ways to that which destroyeth kings. Now, so this is this is pretty straightforward teaching. It's do not be a playboy. Do not be a player. It will destroy. Now, this is she's. She's remember, she's not talking to her son that is a lowlife. She's talking to her son that has ambitions, that is already in a position of power, and has ambitions to do great things. And she's saying, if you want to do great things, you're going to have to learn to treat women respectfully. Because if you are a jerk, it will bring your life to destruction. It will bring your life to destruction. So this, this is what the Bible is writing in to a world that is full of brutality. And she's saying, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a leader in God's kingdom, you cannot be a jerk. You cannot be a player. You cannot be a playboy. You better not give your strength and your energy to pursuing something that will destroy you, to being seen in some sort of, as some sort of cool guy that fades over time, and that loses everything. So th- this is this is an invitation. This is not like a smackdown. This is a mom giving an invitation to her son for wisdom. Gentlemen, this is an invitation to a life of blessing. Don't have the mentality to use women to just kind of get a girlfriend to boost your ego and your credibility or your street cred. You need to learn at a young age to treat women with respect because if you want to do something for God, it's going to depend on your attitude towards women. Give not your strength to women. This is not a downgrading of women. This is a lifting up of women. We're facing a society that is filled with uh, bosses and uh, high-powered people that are now in court because of the way that they treated their female employees. Because they treated them terribly. Because they never read the Book of Proverbs. They didn't offer the. They didn't receive the invitation to wisdom. They treated people like second-class citizens, and they were fools. They were fooled. They may have been wealthy, but they were fools. They lost their integrity. And so this is an invitation. The table is laid before you, gentlemen. And how you respond to the invitation will determine the success of your life. Because I believe that everybody in here is called to greatness. So when it's addressed to a king, you say, well, it's a king. It's not me. No, you are a royal priesthood, the Bible says. If you've been called into the kingdom of God, you are a king before the Lord. You have a dominion in which you can reign and that you can bring about God's will in your life. And if you're going to be successful, you better be careful about your relationships. This is advice from a mother. So she starts giving advice to her son and then she moves on from that. She just says it. It's like the rest of Proverbs. and that's a very short statement. She's just going to say it once and then move on. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Now listen to this next verse. It's very interesting. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy heart. She's saying the only people that should drink are the people that are ready to die that are not ready to deal with their life. Now, I ask myself, is this really an invitation to drink? Is this really where the Bible is saying that if somebody is sad enough that you can give them something to drink and that they can get drunk? I do not believe so. This right here is kind of a tongue-in-cheek example of the only people that alcohol does anything for or really I think you could extend it to any kind of substance that alters your mind is not for somebody that wants to accomplish anything it is for somebody that is done with life and that is given up on life and just wants to forget and be a vegetable all the rest of their life which is not the will of God for anybody in here and not the will of God for anybody that receives the power of the Holy Ghost and is born again into the kingdom of God you have something to do so do not waste your time with substances that put you out of your mind, make you forget your problems instead of awakening you to the need to deal with your problems. This is an invitation to wisdom. It's an invitation. laid out before you an invitation to wisdom or you can ignore it. But if you do, it's at your own peril. It's not forced down on you, crammed down on you. It's an invitation. It's saying this. This you better be careful, leaders, people that have been called to do something great, that you do not give yourself to a substance that will take you out of your mind, make you unable to deal with the problems of life, so that, guess what? You're going to stay in your problems. This is only for people that don't want to deal with their problems and that are literally ready to die, that have given up on life. It's a symbol, I've done with life. No, you need to stay in the fight, stay with your mind clear so that God can be useful to you. Pretty clear instruction from the words... Of a mother. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Pretty clear there. If you're a leader, you can't be a bully can't be a bully. You, you have to plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Those that are less fortunate than you, you need to be kind to them. You do not need, do not get in the game, anyone, male or female, of putting people down so that you can feel better about yourself. That's not what leaders do. That's not what people that are called by God do. Do not mock people for their misfortune so to make yourself look better, but you need to plead the cause of those that are in need. And what's this look like in high school? It means maybe sitting with somebody at lunch that has nobody to sit with. It may mean being a friend to somebody that everybody else thinks is weird, may smell a little funny, look a little funny, dress a little funny. Maybe it means being their friend. Maybe it means if you're a leader in the kingdom of God, that you look out for those people that are picked on and you fight for them, meaning that you're their friend, a genuine friend, not just somebody that positions themselves always with the most popular people, but somebody that looks out for somebody else. This is, it's real easy to see in high school those folks that struggle to find friends. You need to be their friend. You need to be their friend. And when you do that, God will bless you. See, there's, there's wisdom in the Bible laid out before you, and it's an invitation to eat of it. And then we get to verse number 10. And I'm going to go quickly through these verses, but it says, Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Now, this sets up the great plan of God for marriage. Now, we, we take it, in, in our day and age, divorce is so prevalent that when people get married, we look at it as just an extension of dating. That it's just kind of like dating with a piece of paper. It's just like more long-term dating. But really, that's not how the Bible views it. And that's why we give commitments and vows before God. Because the Bible views it with incredible seriousness. It literally, the two shall become one flesh. In that you become one person. Literally, you give yourselves to each other so that your reputation your wealth your finances everything that you are is now melded into one and it is in that safety of that vow and that commitment and the covenants in the bible are not broken ever under any circumstances that that covenant is a place where children can be brought up in safety and so the, the Bible lays out this wisdom for us. And so it says that if you as a leader, King Lemuel, find a wife that is a blessing to you, that is more important than any amount of money that you can have. That and, and, and when you're the king when you run the government money is important you need the money to furnish the army you need the money to, make, to secure the borders to build good roads to build good walls to make sure that your kingdom can function and this mother is saying listen I know that you are a successful king I know that you need wealth and you need a good army but above all of that you need to marry somebody that is compatible to your vision because she will make or break you because there is no distinction in God's eyes between what a man accomplishes and what his wife accomplishes. It is seriously just one mission. It is one mission. So this is, this is equality of marriage that nobody else talks about, but that the Bible lifts up. It is not a subjugation, young ladies, when you, most of you will probably get married someday. Now, Marriage is not for everyone, both male and female. There are some people that stay unmarried for the rest of their life, and the Apostle Paul addresses that as saying that that is a way in which you can be radically used by the kingdom of God. Paul himself was not married, and he said, I can minister better this way. But he said that there that's a minority of people that are like me that that want to do this. But it's I, I have known uh, ladies that stayed single their, their life or missionaries or whatever. So God uses single people in great ways. But most but the Lord recognizes that most everybody will be married and have children. And that is the way to subdue the earth. And so when that day comes. When you get married, you have to understand that you are not just dating somebody for an extended period of time, but you are literally joining your person with their person and that you become one person so that every accomplishment that that person has is now on you, and every fault that they have publicly is now sort of its west on your shoulders. So you can be an excellent person and marry someone that is nobody, and you're not really going to go anywhere. You need to make sure that you marry someone that has the abilities and the heart to serve God like you want to serve God. Because if you uh, marry a project, meaning somebody that needs a lot of work and you think you're going to fix them, both male and and female, if you choose somebody that is a project, guess what? They're going to drag you down. You're rarely going to be able to lift them up. I would say that's, this is this is what, this is not my words, this is what, This wise mother is teaching her son about choosing a wife, about choosing a spouse, that it is incredibly important because as a king, as a leader, who you choose will become one with you and she will impact everything that you do. She will impact everything that you do. So let's keep reading. Because this mother goes into explaining what a wise woman looks like. Well, Once again, this is an invitation. And uh, let me say this before we get into this. Because it is this, these words are directed at young ladies. It's an invitation to what a wise woman can look like. A woman that's useful to, the, to God's kingdom, that can be trusted with a position of high honor. But young men, if you're going to attract a young lady like that, you're going to have to have similar qualities. Because you're not going a young lady that's full of wisdom and that is serving the Lord and has a heart after God is not going to want to marry somebody that doesn't have a heart after God, somebody that's just cool or just hip or just kind of a, you know, a jerk or whatever. They're not going to be attracted to somebody like that. So you're going to have to mirror these qualities in order to attract somebody that has this potential to serve God. And you need to take this to heart. This is, this is, this is like I say, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to you to help you Make the most important decision of your life. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. So the Bible expects women to be industrious. It knows that God recognizes, young ladies, that you have a mind and that you are incredibly smart and that you have incredible abilities and that God has a role for you to play in the kingdom of God. God never looks over a young lady. If a young lady has a heart after God, God will seek you out and will help you and elevate you to the place of position and power that you can influence things in the kingdom of God, God has a place for you. He understands, the Bible understands that you have a role to play and that you are smart and that you are industrious. And really, if you start comparing it, almost every other ancient religion in the world thinks that women are less than men. But not this book. This The book, only thing this book recognizes about men and women is that they are different but not that they are less. Jesus even said at the foot of the cross, there is no male, there is no female. When it comes to being judged by God, your gender will not come into play. But as far as your role that God has to play, there is a distinction, there is a difference. You have a mind and God expects you to use it. You are smart, you are capable, and you Can do great things for the kingdom of God. You can put your hands, your mind, your heart to work and do incredible things for God. She is like the merchant ship, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Now, when I read this, when I read this. Chapter I cannot help but think about my wife and all the work that she does that really nobody sees. A lot of my work is visible because I work in a company in the outside world and I get paid for my work. She works primarily in the home and doesn't get paid for it. And nobody really sees it except for me and that baby girl. We see it. And God sees it. I'm not saying that that her life is for everyone, but it is something that God looks down and that God blesses. And she works as hard, if not harder than me to provide for our home. And God looks down and says, that is something that I can bless. And that is something that I can get behind and that I have called her to do. You have a mind, you have a heart, you have hands to work, and God expects you to use them for his kingdom. You have a role to play. You have a purpose. I want to be very careful when I'm teaching because I want you to see the high view that God has for young ladies in his kingdom. That God looks down on you and sees incredible amounts of potential for you to do something great. I just want you to listen to the words of what you can be, the invitation to what you can be. She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. Now, you have to understand this. In this context of this society, most societies would not allow women to own property. And this book is saying that women in this day and age could buy a vineyard, could then run the vineyard, be the landlord, and be a business owner. That they could be industrious to the point of being an entrepreneur. Now, there were not many ancient societies when this was written that allowed women to be entrepreneurs, but it's this book. I'm here to give a defense of this book to say that it has a plan for young ladies to be Successful. To be blessed, to be industrious, to be smart—that—that that is what God has is granting you. You have endless possibilities to uh, better yourself, and not try to just seek after some do to make you feel better. You can have your own thing going. And then when you are somebody that God is elevating and then there's also a young man that has similar qualities, that is not lazy, that doesn't stay in bed all day, that is industrious, that works hard, that has a heart after God and all of a sudden God has elevated you together. That's somebody that you should marry. Not looking desperately like I won't have any affirmation if I don't find a husband. No, you just work on you and as God elevates you, as God gives you the ability and the talent and the calling and the skill, then God's going to elevate a young man that is not so much higher than you and you just fall down and worship at his feet and follow around him like some little mute person. But know that somebody that you can join together and that you can serve God together in the kingdom of God. That's what God has for you. That's what God wants for you. God looks at you like I look at that little baby girl back there, and I don't want her to be a doormat for some joker. I want her to be smart. I want her to be intelligent. I want her to be able to buy a field, to plant a vineyard, to make something of herself, and then marry somebody that has equal value in the eyes of God because they've elevated themselves to that same position, not waiting around on some, you know, the the Prince Charming narrative has done a lot of damage. You grow up watching Disney movies. You do not need to be rescued by a man. You need to be rescued by Jesus Christ. And guess what? The young men are in the same boat. They need to be rescued by Jesus Christ. We are all locked in the tower of sin and we're needing to be rescued by Jesus, not a prince or a princess. need to be rescued by Jesus. So feminists that flip the script and say, women need to rescue men, that's wrong too. We need to be rescued rescued by him. I heard a preacher when I was going up to camp, he said, you need to cut this lie out. You complete me. Lie. Jesus completes each and every one of us. And when we are whole people, that's when you're ready to walk down the aisle and get married. Do not walk down the aisle as a broken half person, thinking that, the, uh, that this person holds the other half like some sort of cheesy locket you got at Walmart that like the broken heart pieces go together. That's not true. You're not going to find somebody. There's not somebody out there walking around with half your heart and you've just got to find them and then duct tape it together and then voila, your life is perfect and it works out. No, the other piece of your heart is in the hands of Jesus. He completes you. He gives you. That's why Apostle Paul says, I can be single my whole life and I'm not incomplete because I am complete in Him. But as as God completes me and gives me abilities and strengths and, and I apply myself and I become a whole person, and then I find somebody that is strong and that is independent and that loves God and serves Him with everything, then there's somebody that I can marry. Sister Nikki was not a half of a person when she walked down the aisle. She was a young lady with a call of God on her life. She was a young lady that was already an excellent public speaker. She was the theology club president which was almost always exclusively held by young men, but she was a young lady that was a sophomore. Most of the time it was seniors. She was a sophomore, and she'd already been elevated to that position because she was an excellent speaker. She was an excellent student. She was a prayer warrior. She was very clearly that she was a leader. She was not half a person when she walked down waiting on me to complete her heart. She was a whole person. She had walked through battles. She had won victories on her own. And I had done the same. And then God brought two people that are striving to serve Him together and made one new person. Not like a completed whole person, but like a new person. A new team ready to serve the Lord because our hearts were aligned in the right place. And I've seen too many people who are unequally yoked, which the Bible says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? Because if you're unequally yoked, it will not work. Maybe you'll be able to stay married and that's what the will of God is, but you will not be able to serve God at the high level. Remember, this mom is talking to a king and saying, if you want to be a good king, you better find somebody. Not that you can train to be a good queen, but that is already living at that standard. And her price, her value to you will be far above rubies. You can do great things in the kingdom of God, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. she le- so this is, means industrious, working, smart. she looks at the goods of her home and she says, this is good stuff. She, uh, this is valuable stuff. I can earn a living, I can make money, I can be useful. I can put my own hand, my own mind to work. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Strength, listen to those words, strength. There is strength. You have incredible amounts of strength. You are not waiting on somebody to rescue you. You have strength and you are empowered through the power of the Holy Ghost to do great things for God right now. You have strength. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff, that's the needle of the spindle, meaning making clothes. Creative, I would say. I mean, nobody spins their clothes really anymore, but creative. You have creativity. You have things that you can do. You are able to create things. She stretches out her hand to the poor. She reaches forth her hands to the needy. So this, like I said, gentlemen, this could mirror. If you want somebody that's kind, you better be kind. If you want somebody that reaches out, and guess what? If you may, if you're a jerk and you marry a jerk, you're going to be jerks to each other. That's not going to work. You need to marry someone that's kind, that reaches out to others, that loves people, that's generous and giving. So you better be generous. You better be giving if you want to marry a young lady that's generous and giving. And you want let me just tell you, you want to be married to someone that's generous and giving because a stingy, selfish person is going to be stingy and selfish in the marriage. You can't, you can't be like loving, giving to each other and then be stingy on the outside. It doesn't work that way. Selfish people are selfish in every context of life, so you better break yourself of selfishness before you walk down the aisle. Don't be a selfish jerk getting married. Make sure you've got that worked out. This is, like I said, this is an invitation to wisdom. This law wasn't created just to control you. This law was created as an invitation. This is how marriages work. This is how a life is blessed. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. They're clothed. She's provided. Not a, listen to this language. She's strong. She's not afraid, not fearful, not anxious, not worried, not staying up at night. She's done her homework. She's, she's able to provide. She's able to take care of business. Someone the God looks down and he looks at an independent young lady and says, that's somebody that I can use. That's somebody that's not waiting around to be completed, but that is industrious. Remember, all of these things is Lemuel, I assume he's unmarried. So she's saying, you need to look for a woman that is already this. Now, that is not married, that is not married and becomes, that is already this, that has worked on herself. Not just then. Look, nothing about physical appearance, as far as physical attributes, is in here. This is about character, about who you are, deep down, who you are. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Now, as soon as I say, this is about, not about outward appearance. This is not about physical characteristics, but there is something in here about clothing. How both men and women, how you present yourself matters, how you present yourself to the world matters. God has something to say about what we wear because he wants us to be approachable. He wants us to be presentable. He wants us to represent him well. That's why if you look at the leaders of our country, pretty much they all wear the same thing. The men wear dark suits, white shirts, red or blue tie, and the, the women, their, their wives, or the congresswomen that are elected, they are modest. They are appropriate. They don't come to Congress floor in their pajamas. Even the most liberal, liberated women, they wear suits. Most of the time they have skirts on that are below their knee because they want to be taken as serious congresswomen. And their husbands are there beside them dressed nice. And It's because they're politicians. They want to present themselves well. They want to represent our country well. It makes us proud when we look. I mean, if we looked at a video of Congress and everybody was in their PJs, we'd think, who in the world is running our country? Let's find some new people. We want people that dress nice and dress modestly. So God wants the same thing for leaders in his kingdom. He's, he's got standards. So, this young lady that she, she's, she cares about her appearance, not in, a, not in a, a, an inappropriate way, but in a way that says, I'm going to dress appropriately for the leader that I am in God's kingdom. I'm going to wear things that do not degrade me, that do not devalue me, that do not draw attention to the things that do not matter. I want things that will allow my ideas to come forth with seriousness and to show my industriousness. No congresswoman in the United States, Congress wants to be known for her body. She wants to be known for her words and for her ideas. That's why they dress a certain way. They dress modestly. Because it's about their ideas, it's about the person that they are, it's about the character. Presumably that's why they got elected. So that's who God's called you to be. Is someone with ideas, someone that is creative, somebody that is industrious, somebody that can uh, provide for themselves, that can stand up and and be strong and not be afraid and not be anxious and not be self-conscious and not be worried what everybody thinks all the time. Just present yourself well, square your shoulders back and say, I've been called by God. I have a purpose on this earth. God has called me. He is my father. I am complete in him. That'll help you find the mate that will treat you with respect and that will honor you because we'll keep reading. Don't take my word for it. This is in the Bible. An invitation laid out for wisdom. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Now, this is one thing. Once again, it's kind of a a verse that is uh, hard for us to understand. The gates of the city were where the rulers of the city sat and they judged. It was like the court of law. It was like the city hall. Now, I've been to an ancient city in Israel. I've been to the ancient city of Dan, and the the throne is still sitting there where the leader, the mayor sort of of the city would sit at the entrance to the city, and it would kind of be like customs if you've ever flown out of the country. There's customs and border protection, and they would look at the goods. Can they come into our city? Are you allowed entrance to our city? And if you had a dispute, you would go to the gate of the city and you would argue there before the magistrate, and then he would make a decision. And so if your husband is known in the gates, that means that he has a great reputation. That's what this means, a great reputation, that people look and they are proud of him. And so this is saying that if you will be industrious and Focus on your character that you can marry someone that has a great reputation. Not someone that drags you under as a weight and you're carrying all the time, but somebody that has an equally good reputation that is known. And guess what? In God's economy, when you marry someone, you are one with them. Your reputation becomes their reputation. And their reputation becomes your reputation. So this is... An invitation to wisdom. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing. Let's just listen to these words. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Be careful of the words that come out of your mouth. Wisdom is connected to your speech. You need to have kind things coming out of your mouth. Do not need to be a gossip. Do not need to be someone that talks bad about people but someone that is kind in their speech and young men if you want to marry a young lady that has kind things to say you better be kind as well and guess what you want to marry someone that has kind things to say because if you marry a brat they're going to be a brat to you and if you're a brat you're only going to be able to attract brats and then guess what your marriage isn't going to work because you're going to be bratty to each other You're going to be saying snarky things that you regret to each other. So you better get someone that speaks kindly. And if you're going to attract someone that speaks kindly, they're not going to be attracted to a jerk. You better be kind. You better be kind. You better not gossip. You better not run your mouth. Because you want somebody that's going to uplift you. That's going to protect you. That's going to keep, that's going to say kind things to you. That's not going to blurt the first Wicked thing that comes out of their mouth that has the law of kindness in their mouth. This is somebody that you should look for when you're picking a mate, someone that is kind. She looketh well to the ways of her household, eateth not the bread of idleness. Once again, creative, industrious. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Now, this sounds like a family that works. The children say, mom is an awesome person. The husband says, your mother is an awesome lady. Has affirmation, love, approval. That sounds like a home that I want to live in. That sounds like a home I want to create. There's the invitation right here. It's open to you. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excelleth them all. Verse number 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain meaning it lasts, it's temporary. It's, it's just temporary. I mean, if you, even movies, most movie stars that are known for being beautiful or models, they're all young. There always comes a day as you get older that you cease to become this quote-unquote beautiful. And the Bible says the well, good thing that that's really not what counts because that's what fades, That's really not what counts in the truth, because that's what fades. Good thing, too. But a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. Shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let her own works praise her in the gates. God has a place for you in his kingdom, for your work, your creativity, your industriousness to take root and to flourish that's what you need to be focused on and who you need to marry will become obvious to you as you seek after God doesn't mean you're not going to like people doesn't mean you're not going to have crushes but you need to be very cautious because beauty is fading even in young men handsome dudes get bald just like I do It goes quickly. Thank God Sister Nikki didn't marry me for my hair. Right? (laughs) Because it would be over. You know, it's only going to go downhill from here. Beauty is vain. A good thing that's not what matters. Good thing that's not what matters. You need to be very careful. So you can have a crush, but you need to be very careful. If you are not a whole person yet, you don't need to be walking down the aisle. You need to work on you. You need to take this time, the gift of singleness to work on you, to say, God, what do you want me to become? And not, be, not conform yourself to some young man that you think is cute and say, oh, that's what God needs me to be. No, God has a calling for you separate from any young man. And when you answer and step into that calling, then you can start looking around and say, okay, now who's at my level? Because there's going to be a lot of... You now, Sister Nikki, I love this. She had a scratch list there were guys she would literally, I don't know if, I don't think it was a physical list, was it? It was a mental list. There were guys when she was at Bible college, so she'd already elevated herself. She was at Bible college, wasn't looking around the world. But even guys at Bible college, she would see them say and do things, and she would be like, no way. Not even going to talk to you. I'm going to be friendly, but I'm not going to be interested in you at all because not, not where I want to go. Because she knew where she wanted to go. Because she had a call of God on her life. And I'm use her because I know her story the best because she had a call of God on her life. And then she looked around and said, OK, who matches my calling? Not like, oh, yeah, I feel called to this because you are. Oh, I feel called to this because you are. Oh, no, I really love this because you do. No, that's not. God hasn't called you to be some doormat person. He's called you to be you and to step into the calling that he has for you and then look around. And guess what? By that time, the the field's going to be narrowed down pretty good. And it's going to become pretty evident. And then you can step in to a life of blessing. A life of blessing. Young men, same goes for you. I mean, it's it's just I mean, it's just this was written to young men to say that you need to be careful who you choose to marry. And you both need to have an answer in your heart. What God has God called me to do? And then you look around. Does That make sense? Can you apply this? Take this to heart. Read Proverbs 31 again and again and again. And when you get somebody that you kind of like and you start thinking about them, you need to judge them by the light of this. Am I this kind of person? And then am I marrying this kind of person? Is this somebody that's worthy of my time, of my life, because I'm going to be one person with them? I want those questions to be going on in your mind. All right, let's bow our heads and dismiss. God, I thank you for this group. I thank you, Lord, for their attention, their listening. I pray, God, that you would help us all, Lord, to better work for your kingdom. God, I pray especially for these young people. Lord, that are making very, very big decisions in their life. I pray that you would help them to become everything that you need them to become. That you would help our young men and our young ladies to answer the call of God, to step into that calling, God, and then trust you, Lord, with their future. Trust you with their outcome. God, we want to sit down at the table of wisdom and partake, God, of the things that you have for us so that we can be who you've called us to be. Go with us, touch these young people, bless them, lift them up, I give you praise, I give you glory in Jesus' name.